Hi everybody. I wanted to just give you guys a quick update on the progress of the Brentwood construction project. You're probably aware that over a year ago we started construction on a brand new 35,000 square foot church facility that's located right in the heart of the Brentwood community. And I'm happy to report that the progress is going really well. So if you're on Lone Tree Way and you're driving through town and you look over, you see this gorgeous building now. There's this beautiful arch that's kind of welcoming everyone from the street. Uh, there's siding happening going up on the outside. Uh, on the inside, the building is really taking shape. Our Kidman areas are now all sheetrocked and, and textured, and we're working on the downstairs. And so piece by piece, we're making some significant progress. The goal and hope is, is that we are uh, in the building and having services uh, in the first uh, three or four months of 2018. And so I just wanted to say thank you to the entire Cornerstone community for the sacrifice of generosity that's helping to make this project become just what it is. And that is a welcoming environment where our hope is hundreds and hundreds of people in the Far East Bay will, will find us, will find a, a place that they can really explore their faith, their families can come and be safe, and we can have youth ministry, kid ministry, uh, Bible studies, I mean, just all kinds of, of just things for folks to explore Jesus. And so we're really just so grateful for your generosity, for your giving, and it's because of your giving that we're able to continue our mission and vision, which is to reach the East Bay with the gospel, to make an impact in every single neighborhood. So guys, thank you again. God bless, and we can't wait uh, until next year. We're gonna see some great things happen. Oh uh, yeah, we're so excited for the Brentwood campus, and you guys for, for you to get in your space. Um, and today we're continuing our series called Prepare Him Room. Prepare Room for Jesus. How do we create space to remember what this season is all about? What are we doing to prepare room for the coming of the Savior? Well, as our teaching team discussed these questions, we thought about how important it would be to go to the spaces and places where this story originated. And last week, Pastor Billy took us to Nazareth, to Jesus' hometown, the, the town that he grew up in, and we walked into rooms where, where Jesus would have walked and, and, and places where he, where he was raised. And this week, we travel to a room in the hills of Judea, to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I'm glad you guys are with us today. Um, for those of you watching online, reading this through CF Inside, our ministry inside the incarcerated church, and for all of you joining us on all five of our campuses, happy December. You made it. You made it. We made it to December, and it's just smooth sailing all the way into 2018, right? Why is it that we, we let December get so crazy? Like we have shopping to do, Christmas parties to attend, trees to decorate, lights to hang, unless you like to uh, purchase those lights that you put on the ground and they just project onto your house like I do and people drive by your house and judge you for not being Christmassy enough. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but for me during the, the craziness of this season, there are times where I just wanna get away from it all. Like, like sometimes the place I feel most at home isn't even my own home. Um, sometimes there's somewhere else I would rather be, somewhere more, more peaceful. 
um, somewhere, somewhere less stressful, somewhere calmer. During Thanksgiving week, my wife, son, and I went to my more peaceful place, my less stressful place. Uh, it's actually the town I was born in, Goshen, Indiana, a town known for its RV production companies and Amish communities. And we love going back, especially for Thanksgiving, because apparently gluttony is not a sin in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> 23 of us gathered around our Thanksgiving uh, dinner table and ate 47 pounds of turkey. Now, I'm not, I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure that's more than two pounds per person. Um, we ate three different kinds of stuffing. Um, mashed potatoes, butter noodles, because apparently noodles don't have enough um, carbs or fat or whatever in them in the first place, so let's just pile a bunch of butter into them. Um, and we ate rolls smothered with homemade strawberry jam. I gained seven pounds in four days. <laughs> but, but we did more than eat, we did more than eat. We, we played cards and we shared stories and we even got to celebrate the life of my grandmother who passed earlier this year. Um, we spent a ton of time together with some of our, our favorite relatives. Every time we go back to Indiana, we feel a sense of peace, a settling of our soul. We, we love it so much that usually after these trips, my wife Amanda asks if we can move back there. Um, she didn't ask that this time though, and I think it's because it was the first time we went when it wasn't a summer month and she was freezing the entire time we were there. So I think we're gonna tough it out here in California for a while. Um, but do you, have, do you have that place? The place where, where you would run to, or, or maybe the people you would run to when things get a little crazy or unsettled? Where, where do you go? Who do you go to be with in order to feel at home? You know, I always have such great anticipation to be at home with those people. And that's what today's scene brings to light for us. Anticipation. It's a narrative filled with expectation, wonder, and awe. One of the stars of our story today, as soon as she receives some news that would cause most to want to escape to a place a little more peaceful, a little less stressful, she received news that would have caused great anticipation. As soon as she heard that news, she escaped to that place that was a little more peaceful. Now we read this story in, in Luke chapter one. You can go ahead and flip there uh, in your Bibles or your phone apps with me today. But first, a little context to get us caught up to where we're at. Um, in chapter one of Luke, we meet three individuals, Zechariah, Mary, and Elizabeth. Actually, I should say Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary because Zechariah and Elizabeth are husband and wife. Um, during the reign of King Herod, Zechariah was a priest. And, and we read that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were found righteous before God. Um, they were both born into priestly families. Actually, if Elizabeth were born a male, she would have been a priest. And Luke writes that they observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless. Elizabeth could not conceive, and they were both really old. So the potential of them ever having a baby seemed impossible. Well, one day Zechariah went to the temple to burn incense before God, and an angel appeared to him and told him that his wife would have a son, and they were to call him John. And he would be the one that would prepare the way for the Lord. We know him as John the Baptist today. Um, when Elizabeth realized she was pregnant, 
She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And I wanna just stop here for a moment because I wanna make sure we all get a feel for what Elizabeth is experiencing right, right here. She is an old woman who, who could not conceive a child, let alone a son. In a culture where a woman's worth is tied to her ability to bear children, especially male children. So when she finds out she is pregnant, she's over the top excited. I mean, no longer would she have to, to live with the angst and the disgrace and the ridicule for not being able to pro provide her, her husband with a son. No longer would she be able to, to deal with or, or have to deal with people questioning God's favor over their lives. After finding out she was pregnant, she would have woken up every single morning and thought, oh, oh my goodness, I'm still pregnant. I still have favor with the Lord. Like Elizabeth had to have been so overwhelmed. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening to me. I have a friend who, who struggled with infertility for quite a while. Um, and then she got pregnant. And she told me that she was sick for 26 consecutive weeks. And every time she got sick, every time she threw up, she thanked Jesus for the child growing inside her. Her and her husband named their child Faith for obvious reasons. And she said that every time Faith kicked in her womb, her faith in God kicked as well. I mean, I mean just picture the joy the overwhelming sense of love and peace and excitement felt when God brings a gift like that. As we keep reading in Luke, we learn that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, an angel appears to a virgin named Mary who is pledged to be married to Joseph. And Mary hears that she is going to give birth to a son conceived of the Holy Spirit that is the Son of God. And then the angel tells Mary, right after she tells her that she's going to be pregnant and give birth to the Son of God, um, she tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant as well. And this is where we'll begin our study in verse 39, right after Mary hears this news. Just heard that Elizabeth is pregnant as well. Um, Luke 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so Mary just got the news that she was pregnant with the Son of God, and she heard that, that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant as well, so she got up and she traveled from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, right underneath the M in Jerusalem in, in this map. And uh, this, you can tell, this is not a short journey. This is about 80 to 100 miles. And she traveled this distance to see her favorite relative, Elizabeth, who Mary knows is six months pregnant. So we have, this, we have these two women who, who birth the story we celebrate this Christmas season. Elizabeth, who is too old to get pregnant, it's impossible for her to get pregnant, um, and here she is, pregnant too late, and Mary, a, a virgin, unmarried, pregnant with the Son of God, and here she is, a woman who's pregnant too early. And here we are, watching these two women meet watching Mary run up the front porch of Elizabeth's house, bursting into her front door, 
greeting her beloved relative Elizabeth who has no clue that Mary's pregnant at all. And look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as Elizabeth hears Mary, the baby begins to jump in her womb. Did you know that around 24 weeks, babies can hear voices and respond to noises in the womb? About six months, which is exactly how long Elizabeth has been pregnant. The baby is responding to Mary's voice, the mother of the Son of God, and then Elizabeth, without Mary saying a word about her pregnancy. In a loud voice, verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth's like, oh, Mary, you're pregnant. And the child is the son of God. But, but, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I mean, look, look at what Elizabeth is saying here. It's so fascinating. Elizabeth is saying to Mary, the baby in your womb, the baby Elizabeth had no clue about until she was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary entered her house, Elizabeth says, that baby is my Lord. She's saying, you, Mary, are blessed, and the child you're carrying is blessed, and I'm blessed because the mother of the Lord has paid me a visit. So the very first person, the very first human being to express in words that Jesus is Lord is Elizabeth. An elderly woman is the first person to use their words to vocalize that Jesus is God. You see what's going on here? I mean, these women are speaking prophetically. Before this time, before the time this story is happening here, there was 400 years of silence. The Jewish people did not hear from God for 400 years. And look at how the silence is broken through these women. And just a quick side note, something else that's, that's so captivating that's going on here. Not only are these women speaking prophetically, not only is Elizabeth the first person to declare that Jesus is Lord, but she's also the first person to define God and identify God as Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, and the Son is God. Elizabeth points out to Mary, it is the Lord that has made you this promise, and it is the Lord that is in your stomach, and she's saying this while being filled with the Holy Spirit. She figured out what took early church fathers until the middle of the fourth century to determine and, 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 and declare as sound doctrine. This old woman, it's so cool how God works. Um, I love the other part of Elizabeth's response, too. She says, who am I? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who am I? I'm just an old woman. Similar thoughts that Mary would have been having when she found out that, that she was pregnant with the Son of God. Who am I that God would choose me to give birth to his son? Who am I that I would be chosen? I'm just a girl. You see, the level of, of doubt, fear, uncertainty, confusion, mixed with joy, favor, and excitement would have been so overwhelming for these two women. But when the angel tells Mary that she is pregnant 
with the Son of God. What other info does, does the angel give Mary? She says, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant as well. This is no coincidence. This is not a mistake that the angel makes here by saying, oh, by the way, Elizabeth's pregnant too. I mean, that news alone would have, would have caused Mary to take a step back. I mean, beyond the fact that she just heard she was giving birth to the Son of God. That news alone that Elizabeth was pregnant would have, would have caused her to take a step back because she knows Elizabeth. Elizabeth is too old to give birth. She can't have kids. This is impossible. Much like the situation Mary finds herself in is impossible. So, so what does Mary do after she heard um, that, that she was pregnant? Look back at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She got ready and hurried to see her relative Elizabeth. And we need to, ta- we need to take note of something here. Because the connection between these two women was so important in the midst of their situation. Connectedness is vital. The community they are, they are forming is so important. And sometimes this is what community is. Two like-minded people walking through something extraordinary together. You see, when we create space for people, we create space for Jesus. This is how we prepare him room. I should have made that a slide. When we create space for people, we create space for Jesus. That, that should be here. But since it's not, that's my fault. Can you guys write that down? When we create space for people, we create space for Jesus. We're going to hold on to that today. Let's hold on to that, that statement. You know, I see this all the time in, in my wife. Um, whenever she comes up against something difficult or crazy or exciting, she calls me immediately because she needs to process and she needs to just, just share the experience with someone. Actually, she usually calls her mom, to be completely honest, um, because her mom is really good at being empathetic and, and compassionate and emotional, which apparently I'm not. Um, but sometimes I get a little jealous of, of my wife. I'm really good at befriending people at, at a surface level. But Amanda understands depth. She may not have as many friendships as I have, but the friends and the friendships that she does have are, are intense and complex and just deep. I mean, my wife understands how important this is. She understands that we are designed to flourish in connectedness. Which is probably why Amanda wishes she had a few more friendships. And it's why I wish my friendships weren't as shallow, that they had a higher level, a deeper level of of richness to them. I mean, this is what Mary's relationship with Elizabeth is showing us. To make the most of her current circumstance, she runs to see her favorite relative when the difficult, overwhelming, crazy, exciting situation comes up. They are connected as relatives, they are connected because of their circumstance, but they are connected for, for another reason, something that is, that is true for all of us. They are connected because they are human beings created in the image of God. The God who, when he created us, said, it is not good for you to be alone. You see, when we have an interaction with another human being, it's never merely just a human-to-human interaction. God uses people to form people. We are shaped by others. I mean, just as God is shaping these babies in the two wombs, in the same way, God uses other people to shape us throughout our lives. And because of this, the Holy Spirit longs to be at work in every encounter we have with another person. 
an academic journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies um, publishes studies to try and figure out what makes human life flourish. Um, and when researchers look at what separates happy people from, from less happy people, there's always one factor that distinguishes these two groups from one another. It's not health, wealth, success, intelligence, or attractiveness. The one thing that separates consistently happy people from less happy people is deep, meaningful relationships. Relationships like the one Mary runs to. The relationship that, that Elizabeth is ecstatic about. I mean, Mary's very presence would have been a huge encouragement to Elizabeth. I mean, these two women are encouraging one another. There's, there's mutuality and, and reciprocity. They are lifting each other up. Mary and Elizabeth are teaching us something profound about life in the middle of this crazy situation they find themselves in. They need one another. They need encouragement. Something we all need. We all need this. I mean, every day, every single person we interact with faces life. And life, life has a way of beating people down, doesn't it? Like every person needs a cheering section. Every person needs, needs someone to lean on. Every person needs a prayer. Every person needs an embrace. Every person needs someone to say, I'm right here with you. Mary and Elizabeth were these people for one another. They had an opportunity to process together. God was not going to allow them to process and go through their situation alone, which is why I believe that when we face our most difficult situations, God brings community. But sometimes we have to go find it. Sometimes we have to go find it. Sometimes we have to go find our Elizabeth. I mean, God had community prepared for Mary, but she had to run to it. I mean, just think of the great length that Mary had to go in order to find Elizabeth. That was a big deal. I don't even like driving 80 to 100 miles. Mary didn't have a car. She went from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth. Sometimes we have to exert some energy to find the community that God brings. Do you have that person or those people in your life? Do you have an Elizabeth in your life? Let me ask you a few questions today. Um, when something crazy happens in your life, do you have someone you run to? Like Mary ran to Elizabeth. Yes or no? I mean, I don't, I don't know. What is, what is this for you? Um, number two, do you have a friend who's okay with you showing up on their front porch? Like Mary showed up on Elizabeth's front porch. Is there someone who can identify if God is doing something in your life, like, like Elizabeth called out in Mary? Do you have someone, do you have a friend, you trust their confidentiality? I mean, we know that it was not socially acceptable for Mary to be pregnant, right? She trusted Elizabeth with her news. Do you have a friend like that? And the last question, if God brings good news, do you have a friend you would call immediately? If you answered no more than yes to these questions, if you're feeling alone, it's time to find your Elizabeth. And maybe your first step in doing so is by joining a group or asking someone to coffee or stopping by a welcome center at one of our campuses after church, exerting some energy. And, and I don't want to come across like I 
Like, I know this is easy for everyone. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not there yet, and that's, that's okay. If you're sitting there and those questions cause some angst in you, I want you to know that I'm praying specifically for you this month, that you would find your Elizabeth, that God would bring that person to you, an older man or an older woman, to speak truth into your life and to encourage you. I'm praying that for you. And if you answered yes to a majority of those questions, then I wanna ask you a few more questions. Who calls you when something scary happens in their life? Who calls you that you can identify when God is doing something big in their life? Who calls you when, when they get good news? Who trusts you? If, if you don't know who that person is, I wanna encourage you to go find your Mary. Because Elizabeth's need Mary's just as much as Mary's need Elizabeth's. There is reciprocity in love and encouragement that happens in a relationship like this. This is discipleship. Every person needs an Elizabeth in their life. And every person needs a Mary. And every person, including men and women, need these, these two people. Connectedness is just as important for men as it is to women. Like if it helps to change the name, like Eli and Mark, then great. We, we, we all need this. You know, I'm thankful for the, for the example Mary and Elizabeth show us here. Um, if you skip down to verse 56 in, in Luke 1, you'll see that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months before returning home. Think of what three months in the company of such great encouragement and affirmation would do for someone like Mary. Think about how much courage and bravery this would bring out in her. Elizabeth and Mary were a powerful duo because there is power in connectedness to others. But there is also power in connectedness to God. This is like part one of our study today, and then in the next part that we're gonna look at, this is, this is what we learn. This is what we see from Mary's response to Elizabeth's encouragement. Um, um, Elizabeth's encouragement el elicits this response from Mary. Mary's connectedness to Elizabeth calls out Mary's connectedness to God. It's like what I said earlier that, that you should have written down that I should have made a, a slide for. That's on me, not on you. Um, my fault. But when you create space for people, you create space for Jesus. And we'll see what, what creating space for people did for Mary over the next 10 verses as we read what most of us know as the Magnificat. And it's called the Magnificat because in the Latin translations, that's the very first word of this song which in the Greek, it's the word for magnify or glorify. And we learn so much about Mary over these 10 verses, over the course of her song. One of the major things we see is that Mary knew her people's story. She knew God. She knew Yahweh and his mission and his plan for the world. She knew her creator. She was very well connected to God. And because of this relationship, you can almost feel the courage coming from Mary. She's emboldened and ready to fight the battle God is fighting. This 15-year-old girl is ready to fight the battle God is fighting. He's fighting against pride in high places, taking down those who oppress and persecute his people. He's fighting against sin and death, and he's working to set all things right, and Mary is all in. Remember, before this, there were 400 years of silence. The Jewish people did not hear from God for that long. It was like 400 years of anxiety and strain and distance building up in the midst of a deafening silence. 
And then the silence is broken and Mary has this song combust from within her soul. N.T. Wright says that it's the women who really know how to celebrate, to sing and dance with their bodies and voices saying things far deeper than words. That's how Mary's song comes across here. It's the gospel before the gospel came to be, months before the birth, decades before the crucifixion and resurrection. This song is all about God and it's all about Jesus. It's all about the promises of restoration and hope come to life. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's a beautiful, passionate song. And there's a few things I want to grab out of this in the time we have left today that show a little bit more of Mary's connection to God. The first thing comes from verse 53. She, she, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. Mary knows what it means to be hungry for good things from the Lord. She was a hungry person. I mean, we have proof of this in the song we just read. Just read. In, in these 10 verses, Mary quotes or alludes to 12 verses from the Old Testament. I mean, this girl knew scripture. She longed to know God more deeply. We can also see that she had a hunger to worship God because seven of those 12 verses she quoted or alluded to were Psalms, which means she would have meditated on and sung and declared these songs many times before God. This is a woman who obviously got God's attention. It's no wonder God chooses her. She had a hunger to know God and a hunger to know his will. You know, during the, the holiday season, you could, you could say that, that a lot of us are hungry. We try to fill our, our East Bay appetite with things that we think will satisfy. Um, just this past couple weeks, I'd say a lot of us were pretty hungry for shopping. I mean, anyone go a little crazy on Black Friday or Cyber Monday and then not have any money left over to give to people on Giving Tuesday, give to nonprofits on Giving Tuesday? <laughs> They need to change the order of these days up. Like, these hashtags were all over my social media feeds, and this one was like kind of an afterthought. Um, but we're hungry for this stuff during this time of year, aren't we? Like trying to buy the right things, the right gifts for the right people, and we're all stressed out about it. We're hungry for, for the wrong things. Status, food, drink, parties, gifts. But what would it look like for us to be hungry for the good things? From the Lord. How can we be hungry for good things? Hungry for, for deep relationships like we saw in Mary and Elizabeth. Hungry for, for favor that comes from obedience and faith in God. Hungry to serve. Hungry to be generous. Hungry to worship. Hungry to know God like Mary knew God. To have an insatiable appetite for the good things of the Lord. This is what connects us to God. The second thing that jumps out from this song that demonstrates Mary's connectedness to her creator is how much she trusts his faithfulness. 
I mean, there's this theme that kind of runs through her song as she remembers God's, God's goodness and, and his faithfulness to her ancestors. You know, there's something else about growing up in uh, a small town in Indiana, being from a small town in, in Indiana, because um, we, all hold, we all hold this thing very close to our hearts. Like I said, we went back and, and uh, last week during Thanksgiving, and you can't go back to Indiana without eating tons of food. I, I made that very clear earlier. Um, you also can't go back to Indiana without picking up a basketball at some point, because it's the Hoosier state, which means you also can't go back to Indiana without quoting or mentioning something from the movie Hoosiers at some point. <laughs> this happens to be one of my favorite movies, and for those of you who were with us last week, I would even say that it's a better movie than Princess Quarterback. <laughs> Just my opinion. Um, Hoosiers is based, if you weren't here last week, you're like, why are we talking about Princess Quarterback? Go back, watch the first week, and it'll all make sense. Um, Hoosiers is based off of a small school in, in Indiana called Hickory that made it to the Indiana State Basketball Championship in 1954. My dad, who played high school basketball at a small school in Indiana, um, always quotes this one scene from this movie. It's when they all walk into the, into the giant gym that, that they're going to play the state championship basketball game in, and the coach, the, the players are like overwhelmed, and the coach gets out a tape measure and has them measure the backboard to the free throw line, and it's 15 feet, and then he has them measure the, the, the I'm seeing people nod their head, like you know this, you know this scene. Um, the, then he has them measure the floor to the rim, which is, is 10 feet, and the coach looks at the players and says, Guys, I think you'll see that it's the same as our gym back in Hickory. And all the players are like, oh, yeah, he's right. Um, they do a great job of depicting Indiana farm boys and their intelligence. Um, but, but when my dad talks about this, he says that the truth we learn here, that no matter where you are, I feel like my dad right now because I've heard this so many times, that no matter where you are, it's always 15 feet from the backboard to the free throw line and 10 feet from the floor to the rim. He says that same truth that we learn here in this movie is the same truth we know about God. That when it comes to God, he is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That no matter where you are, God is God. It's what my dad has held on to as he's dealt with, with health issues, career changes, and the loss of loved ones. It's a truth that has carried our family through, through difficult times. Remembering God's past provision and who God has always been. And it's a truth that Mary is speaking to here. The same God that provided for her ancestors is the God who blessed her with the miracle growing inside her. She trusts God's faithfulness because she remembers God's past provision. And she's so secure in it. I mean, how many 15-year-old girls do you, know, do you know that are as secure as Mary is? The confidence of this young woman is astonishing. Like, she just had an angel visit her, and the angel's like, hey, Mary, you're pregnant with the Son of God. And she's like, whoa, I'm a virgin. And the angel's like, so? And she goes, okay. <laughs> like, this is a woman who trusts God, trusts who he is, trusts what he says, and, and how he works. Okay, the last thing that jumps out from this song that speaks to Mary's connectedness to God is actually the very structure that this song is written in. And just let me nerd out on this for just a second. Um, Mary sings this song in present perfect tense. It's about the past, but it's also about the future, about what God has done, but also what Jesus will do. Furthermore, the pattern by which she sings this song is the same pattern that King David sang his psalms. David, who happens to be Mary's great, 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 you get the point, granddad. 
Um, When we read the Psalms, we see that David consistently followed a pattern in the songs that started with his current state and then spoke to God's character and then declared what God was going to do in the future, just like Mary's song. So here we have a female prophet in the line of David, the mother of the Messiah, singing a song in the same pattern that David sung his songs. It's all connected. David sang beautiful, heart-pumping, soul-releasing songs, and, and he didn't just write these songs. They combusted from within his soul, from a deep bond with God. And here is this 15-year-old female descendant of David's doing the exact same thing, a song that erupts from her connection to God. You know, maybe, maybe a great question to ask ourselves this week and during this Christmas season is, do I have a song to sing? A song that just gushes out of my attachment to my creator. I've been thinking a lot about this over the past week or two, and not, not just because of, of this message, um, but because of my grandma. My grandma passed earlier in 2017, and, and we hadn't had a chance to celebrate her life yet, and so when we were all back in Indiana, we did her mem- uh, memorial service. It was extremely low-key, just family singing grandma's four favorite hymns and sharing thoughts and memories. Um, this is my grandma eating s'mores, which she took very seriously, by the way. Um, if you didn't cook your marshmallow correctly, you would get screamed at. Uh, you didn't mess around with this around Grandma Ingold. Um, but you know, whenever I read Mary's song and reflect on how close she was to God, I think of this woman right here. I think of my grandma. I think of her connectedness to God and how sweet that was to her. I think of her hunger to know the good things from God. I think of her connectedness to others and how she encouraged them and and helped them to remember God's past provision. I saw her do this with my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, my, my folks, me. And I think of my grandma's life and how her life was a song of praise and how she could always sing something that glorified her God, something that originated from within. And during this Christmas season, as we, re- we reflect on the space we create, on the room we prepare for Jesus, do we have a song to sing? Not a song that we strain to write, but a song from our soul, something that flows out of our relationship with God, something that causes us to be different from everyone else during the Christmas season. I want to encourage you to do something this week. Just sit with Mary's song. Spend some sweet time with God and don't allow for any interruption, just you and him, and see what comes out of that. See what combusts from within your soul. Maybe you'll think of someone you know, someone who has a deep relationship with God, some, someone like I saw in my, in my grandma, and you'll try to imitate them, try to do a few things like they did. Maybe you'll end up writing something down or or typing out a phrase or creating a song or a poem or focusing on a word God gives you. But whatever comes out of this time, and I hope you'll commit to doing this this week, to spending this time with God, whatever comes out of that time, whatever comes out of the time with your creator, hold on to it this month. Let it allow you to be more at home with Jesus in the middle of his story. A story that was birthed by these two incredible women we learned about today. 
women who teach us the power in connectedness with each other and connectedness with God. Let's pray. Father God, we are so, so grateful for the people that you put in our lives and the people that have gone before us and the stories you give us that connect us to you. God, let us not miss out on the opportunity we have to connect to you at a deeper level this Christmas season. God, that as we sing these songs that we sang earlier today and the song we're just about to sing, God, that we can focus entirely on you and remember exactly who you are and exactly what you came to bring, God, and and that we would be able to engage in the battle like Mary engaged in the battle, to fight the fight with you that you came to fight, God. The battle that brings good news to the poor, that sticks up for the oppressed and the persecuted. God, let us be a church that removes all the, the extra stuff and just leans into you. And God, let us also be a church that makes sure that anyone who's walking through this Christmas season alone doesn't have to. God, that you would give those people the courage and bravery to exert the energy needed to find the community that you've already prepared for them. And God, that you would hold us accountable to make sure that they can connect there. God, we love you and adore you. Thank you for this day and thank you for this story. Thank you for the women and and individuals that you brought this story through. You are an unbelievable, incredible, amazing, mighty, powerful God, and we are, we are blessed to sit in your presence. We adore you. We pray this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.